I've walked through many different passages in this book several years ago. I had the opportunity one day to sit in my study with Coach Bobby Bowden, one of the greatest football coaches who was ever coached in the College Football Hall of Fame, just an incredible man of God, walk with Christ and desired to serve him. And so Coach Bowden's sitting across from me in my study and we're having a conversation and Ultimately, he says, Preacher, the reason I'm here today, I don't want to talk about football, but he said, I do want to talk about the finish line. And so I said, Coach, what do you mean about that? And he had calculated, and he said, I don't know how many more days, weeks, months, years I have to live life, but I do want to finish well. And he said, I want to come across the finish line. I want to finish serving Jesus, and I want to finish sharing Jesus. And he says, as my pastor, can you help me do that? And he's one of the greatest football coaches to ever live. And I said, Coach, if there's any way I can serve and help, I'd be honored to do that. And he finished his race and he finished life well. And at the end of his life, he's still serving Jesus. He was still sharing Jesus. He was still making much of the Lord who changed his life. In this sermon series over the next number of weeks, I want to focus on the finish line. Truth is, we don't know where the finish line is at. It could be near, it could be far. But we need to focus on the finish line. How are we going to finish? Are we going to come across the finish line faithful and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? How are we going to finish? But also imagine in this room and those who are watching around the world, many of us today would agree with the statement, life is filled with problems. We we understand that. We have relational problems. Maybe many of you today are dealing with relationships that are just not right. And you look at those relational problems and you say, why can't we get along? Why can't we put our differences aside? And why can't we start over and move forward? Just relational issues. There are others, you understand financial issues. I mean, you're trying to make it week in and week out. You're living paycheck to paycheck. And you think, when will we ever get ahead? Will we ever find ourselves in a more comfortable place financially? There are many dealing with the directional problems. When I say directional, meaning what is the purpose of life? What should I be doing in life? Why did God create me? Why has he given me life? How do all the pieces of life fit together? What is my purpose, my mission? What does God want me to do with the remainder of my days in this life? It's about a directional issue. And then there are people dealing with spiritual issues as well. Because you look at maybe your spiritual life and say, why does God seem so far and distant to me? Why does heaven seem so silent when I pray? And then you find yourself saying, why does it seem like all the people who have no time for God, no time for the Lord's word, and no time for church, they seem to get all the breaks in life, and I seek to live faithful, and it's like life is unfair to me. Spiritual problems. Well, the book of Esther is very relevant to that because Esther was a leader. She solved problems. She faced problems in her own life. Her people were facing significant problems. And God used Esther for such a time as this to do great things. And you and I on this Mother's Day, we get to learn from a godly woman who lived with courage and conviction and clarity. And God used her in incredible, credible ways. So I want us to walk through this today. I encourage you to take one of the teaching outlines and fill in some blanks with us today because this is going to be relevant to every single one of us, not just to mothers, but to all of us. And as we think about the book of Esther, there are only two books in the Bible named after women. That's one is Esther and the other one is Ruth. But what I want to do today in this message is one, look at some key points. 
So as we think about this message, what are some insights from the book of Esther that relate to your life and to my life that we can walk away with that are going to be key for us as we live the Christian life, as we think about the finish line, and as we want to come across strong, faithful, and obedient as we finish well. Look at number one. God is sovereign and in control. That's a key point of the book of Esther. God is sovereign and he's in control. What that means is he is working on our behalf. He's a way maker. What that means is he's the one in control. We're not in control, but he's the one in control. Muhammad Ali got on an airplane one day and he took his seat and uh, the flight attendant asked him to buckle his seatbelt and he wouldn't do it. Flight attendant came by again and said, Mr. Ali, won't you buckle your seatbelt? And he refused to do so. And finally, the flight attendant came by and said, Mr. Ali, if you don't buckle your seatbelt, this plane is not going to move. And Muhammad Ali said, I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant, pretty quick-witted, said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt because Superman don't need no airplane. And uh, so... <laughs> Muhammad Ali wasn't in control. Uh, God is sovereign and God is the one who is in control. And when you look at the book of Esther and you see this king and you realize all the story behind it, God is the one who is sovereign and God is the one who is in control. Esther knew about problems in life. Her parents had died. Her people were facing attacks and issues, but also she was on the verge of making a monumental decision in her life. Esther understood that God is sovereign. He's in control. And you and I need to live life today the same way on this Mother's Day to realize we're not the ones in control. Uh, we're limited, but God is, is not limited. He is all-powerful, and he is sovereign, and he is the one in control. Number two, God often works behind the scenes. It's interesting when you look at the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. The book of Esther is unique because the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But I would say to us today, even though the name of God is missing in the book of Esther, the hand of God is very present in the book of Esther. Because God was at work, he was at work behind the scenes. You and I can relate to that because there are times we look at life, we look at all the problems we deal with in life, and nothing seems to be happening. And we think, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something that I can see? Well, God's at work behind the scenes. And here's how often God's work. He's working behind the scenes. And then one day, because he's sovereign and he's in control, at the right time, God parts the curtain. And then we're all of a sudden able to see this is what God's been doing behind the scenes in my life, in my situation, in my surroundings around me. God is at work. And he's at work oftentimes behind the scenes. There was a guy who had been sailing and got shipwrecked one day. And, and so he, he's on this island that there was no one else living on the island but just him. And he's looking around day after day after day for uh, other ships to come and maybe rescue him. And so days had passed and he found some wood and some other things. He built a little hut. He was able to salvage a few things from the shipwreck and from sailing. And so he had that. He puts it in the hut. He could sleep at night inside this little hut. So he goes one day to try to find some food to eat. And when he comes back, his hut is on fire. Literally burns everything to the ground, nothing left. And that particular night, he, he lies down and he's right beside the, the ashes of the fire. 
All of his stuff is gone. It's cool that night. He can hear the sound of the ocean. And then somewhere around daybreak, he looked up and he saw something and he heard something. And he saw in the distance a ship and it just changed his life. Then he heard the sound of feet walking toward him. And then he heard the sound of voices. And there was a voice said, we saw your smoke signal and we've come to rescue you. The very things at times you look at it and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did, that, why did I lose that job? God, why cancer? Why the storms of life? And God is at work behind the scenes, oftentimes in ways that you and I simply cannot see, but that's how God works. And again, even though his name is missing in the book of Esther, the hand of God is at work. Number three, God orchestrates the lives of people. As you and I think about this story and you look at Esther, how would God put her in the right place at the right time for such a time as this? And only God could do that. That's the hand of God at work. He got Esther, who was just an ordinary lady, got her at the right place at the right time, and God was going to use her in the life of King Ahasuerus. It's an incredible, incredible story. Why? Because God orchestrates the lives of people. I could share with you story after story. Of situations that I've had in life and situations I've had in ministry, there is no way I could have ever planned that or orchestrated that. It was the work of God for that to happen in my life or in our lives. Would you look at a couple of pictures last week in Brazil? We were working out in this neighborhood, and as we walked, we've been serving there in the mornings and the afternoons. We've been having gospel conversations with people in cars, on bicycles, on motorcycles, people who are walking from homes and homes there in Brazil. You don't go up and knock on the door. You go clap your hands, then they come to the door. I don't know how in the world they know that, but they do. And so we've been doing those things like that and just walking. And so as you look at the first picture, it's this bowl of cornmeal and some onions on it. And, uh, and then there's, that's the picture there. And, and it's just what, what it is, as we've been in that little area there working, God had been moving because people were coming to Christ and we were helping this pastor in this church. And then so this is a thing that were put on corners where we were at on some street corners. And it was a sign of spiritism or voodoo. Because again, the name of Jesus was making a difference in their neighborhood. And so we're standing there, we see this, and look at this other picture. Birds have been eating this one here. The corner, they've been around that one eating all that stuff. It's kind of bizarre. But, but I, we didn't feel threatened by that at all because we'd been ministering that morning. We'd been at a school down the street there. Many of our team outside the school walls had been ministering to kids and their families, so forth, even to the point we've been taking some pictures as well. They called the police on us. And the police showed up. We'd done nothing wrong. We're just taking pictures, ministering to kids. And so the police were there. But again, there were just some people in that neighborhood concerned that we were there in the name of Christ. And so we're standing right here by these voodoo things. Kind of strange, kind of weird. And then all of a sudden we're standing there. There's a guy that walks up beside us. Uh, he's got some sandals on, but you could tell they've been worn out. And uh, he's also no shirt on. Uh, most of his teeth were gone. Uh, we first, maybe he was under the influence of alcohol, then we realized that was not the case. He was a homeless man there in this neighborhood in this area of Brazil. And so we were able to engage him in a gospel conversation. We shared the gospel with him. And then we, we looked at it and we, we gave him a Bible. And I've been around the world giving away God's word over the years. I can think back in Russia when we gave Bibles away in schools. It was overwhelming to see the response when we gave them Bibles in Russia. 
And here's this homeless man standing there. We're standing beside these voodoo things. We got some people who are praying on our team and then we're standing there having a gospel conversation with this man and then we give him a copy of the Bible that's his. And when we gave him a copy of God's word, that man literally took it in his hand and he fell to the ground and he kissed it. It was overwhelming to see his response to a copy of God's word. Church, how many, how many Bibles do you and I have? We've got them on coffee tables and we've got them in bedrooms and other places like that. Have we lost what having a Bible really means at times? Here's a man again on his knees, on the ground, kissing this Bible because we'd given him that gift. So when he stood back up again, we felt like it was a divine appointment for us because on one hand, we've got evil, but on the other side, we wanted to be good because that's who God's called us to be. So here's this homeless man standing there. And so we had talked about maybe getting him something to eat and we'd had some cake that morning there that someone had fixed in the church. Chris goes back and gets a napkin full of cake and we give it to this homeless man and he devours that cake. He's hungry. It was a defining moment for us to say this. I think the Lord was just testing us. What are you going to do with this man? How are you going to minister to him? And so out of Matthew chapter 25, we said, we're going to take you up to a restaurant and we're going to get you something to eat. We're going to get you a hot meal. So we did that, took him there. We also, Marcos even tried to give him his shoes and they wouldn't fit, but here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you something to eat, but we're going to also go up to a store. We're going to buy you some new shoes. We're going to go to a store and we're going to buy you some new shirts and we're going to feed you, so we're going to try to take care of you. Because Matthew 25 talks about that very principle. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was naked, you clothed me. Yada, yada. And so we want to be faithful to God's word. And we minister to that man. But here's the truth. God orchestrated that relationship. We could have never coordinated that. It was the work of God. And God did that. I just want to encourage you to live your life in such a way like Esther like other people who have been obedient to Christ. Live your life in such a way that allow God to orchestrate your life, to put you around people that you can share Christ with, you can minister to, you can be the hands and feet of the Lord. Allow him to use you in the lives of people. God used Esther, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. Look at number two. There, those are some key points. Uh, let me give you the main characters when I think about this. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Number one is King Ahasuerus. Uh, what do we know about him? We know, well, one, his name's hard to pronounce. Uh, that's one thing we know. But, but also we know this, that he was, as the Bible says there in Esther chapter 1, he was the king over 127 provinces in those days, all the way from India to Ethiopia. I mean, he covered a lot of territory. He was a powerful man. His wife was named Queen Vashti. We'll talk about her in just in a moment. But when you look at King Ahasuerus, he was a man of influence. He was a man who liked to party. He was a man also probably who had some motives that just weren't godly. He was also a man of indecision. He needed other people around him to help make decisions. He thought he was the one in control, but he's going to discover he's not in control, but God is the one who is in control. I want to encourage you to live your life not in a way thinking you're in control. Live your life in a way where God is in control of your life. King Ahasuerus. Number two is Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti was the wife of King Ahasuerus. And Queen Vashti was very pleasing to the eye, the Bible says. She was a very attractive woman. 
uh, king of Assyria asked her to do something one time that she just refused to do. And we see in Esther chapter one, we see she had a very independent, strong personality because it says of king is to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty for she was lovely to look at. So, so the king wanted to bring his trophy wife before other people that they could look at her as well. And it was pride in his life. And what was Queen Vashti's response? The Bible says this, that, that it says, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. She would not do that. She was a strong-willed, independent lady. Third person is Haman. When you look at the Bible and you understand Haman, Haman was an interesting individual. He rose in popularity with the king. Other people would bow down and worship him. The main characteristic I want you to walk away with about Haman is he did not like the Jewish people. And that included Esther. That included Mordecai. He did not like the Jewish people and he's gonna pay the price for that. Number four is Mordecai. What an incredible man. Mordecai was someone who loved God, who walked faithful to God, someone also who his primary responsibility in life was raising Esther in life. And so I want to encourage you today, parents, grandparents in your life, don't ever diminish the influence you have in kids and grandkids. Look at your life and say, God, thank you for blessing us with kids and grandkids. that We get to raise them in the ways of God. That's Mordecai's life. He was a Jewish man, but also raising Esther to be used of God in life. Mordecai had a significant spiritual and relational responsibility. Be Mordecai in life. Raise those around you to love God and to walk with him and to be faithful to him. Number five is Esther. Again, her, her life is one of courage and clarity and conviction. God used Esther as this young woman who was very beautiful as well, who was faithful to God and faithful to people around her. And then number six is God. Let me say this, even though God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, the main character, the hero of the story is not Esther, it's not Mordecai, it is God himself. Same is true in your life and my life. The hero of our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you give your testimony, make sure Jesus is always front and center of your story because the only reason you're saved, the only reason you are have all the things you have in life is because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He is the hero of our stories. He's the hero of this church and he's the head of this church for such a time as this. Make much of Jesus. Honor him. And so those are some of the main characters. Now, I want to focus here, life lessons. I want to give you seven of these when I think about the book of Esther. And we'll walk through these fairly quickly because I want you to walk away with these. But number one, believe God is always at work. When you look at this story in the book of Esther, you have to believe that God is always at work. Even though the name of God is missing, the hand of God is at work, God is always at work. Even when you can't see him, even when you can't see behind the curtain, God is still at work. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, there are going to be times your circumstances are going to appear to be overwhelming, but God is always at work. There are going to be times that, that you, may, you may hear the doctor give you the worst case scenario, but God is always at work. You may have a child who is rebellious, living away from God, not following your leadership in life. Never forget God is always at work. 
You may face situations in the workplace that are beyond you and you can't solve, but even in the midst of difficult work environments, always believe this, God is always at work. You may be in a period of your life where spiritually it is dry as the desert. God, I read the word and nothing seems to be clear. I pray to you and it's like heaven is silent. Always realize God is always at work even when you can't see him or feel him. God is at work. And in the story of Esther, the Jewish people are going to come under threat. And even though it looks like it's going to be doom and gloom for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, God is at work and was at work in their lives. And he's going to raise up Esther for such a time as this. Number two, realize God loves to use ordinary people. When you look at the work of God, he doesn't just use superstars and celebrities. He loves to use common, ordinary people. Esther was just a common, ordinary young lady. She lived in obscurity. She was a Jewish person in a non-Jewish environment. Who, Who would have ever thought God would have used her? But that's the work of God. He uses common, ordinary people. So I want to look at boys and girls and men and women. You say, I'm just a common, ordinary person. You're the exact person whom God wants to use. How did God work? Well, he used fishermen and tax collectors. When you look at the Bible, he used people who had weaknesses and flaws, made all sorts of mistakes in life. Why? Because God uses common, ordinary people. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a movie star. You don't have to be a high-profile athlete. God wants to use you in your life. So moms and dads, look at your lives. Look at your hands and say, God, I'm available for you to use me and us. Why? Because God uses common, ordinary people. That was a regard against missing life's primary mission. When you look at Esther, what you're going to look at life, and here's what's going to happen. There's a primary mission and a secondary mission in life. Primary mission is, God, you created me. You've given me life. What do you want to do in my life? And you discover what God's plan for your life is for such a time as this. That's your primary mission in life. I have planned for you, he says, not to harm you, but to prosper, to use you. That's God's work in your life. That's the primary mission. But the enemy comes along and he tempts you and me to say, instead of focusing on God's primary mission for your life, focus on the secondary mission. And what is that? This is what I want to do in life. Parents, I encourage you, when you look at your kids and grandkids, you may have dreams and aspirations for them, but make sure you're teaching them what we want from you first and foremost. You discover what God wants out of your life and you obey God with everything you have. That's the goal in life is to say, God, what do you want? How can I surrender to that? And God, I want to be used of you. But here's the enemy again. There are many people who are missing their absolute best because they're focused on what they want out of life, not what God wants out of life. And God uses common ordinary people and he's got this primary mission in life. Same is true for Esther. Same is true for you and me. Number four, know that devotion to the Lord often brings opposition. When you start getting faithful to Christ and you surrender your life to him because when you look in Esther chapter three, it sees and talk about Haman again. He did not like the Jewish people. And here's, he talks about who he is and all the things, all the king's servant who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for the king had commanded concerning him. King Ahasuerus said about Haman, when you see him, you bow down, you worship him, you pay homage to him. That's, that's a line in the sand. And, but here's Mordecai. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? When they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them, 
They told Haman, yada, yada, and here Mordecai is going to be in serious trouble. Why? Because he's faithful to God. His devotion to the Lord is going to bring opposition to his life. Here's an important takeaway. When you look at Nehemiah, you look at David, you look at Moses, you look at the Lord Jesus, you look at so many of God's servants, their faithfulness to God brought opposition to their lives. When you're faithful to God, parents, grandparents, students, kids, when you're faithful to God, Don't be surprised when opposition comes your way in the Christian life. It may be from family members. It may come in your school. It may come in the workplace. It may even come from some people who are in church. But when you're faithful to God, your devotion to him is strong. Don't be surprised when opposition comes your way. It came to Mordecai. It's going to come to Esther. It will come to you and me as well when we are faithful to God. Number five, associate with people who are spiritually courageous. One of the things I appreciate about Mordecai, Mordecai had some inside information about what was going to happen to the Jewish people. Mordecai knew he couldn't keep that to himself. He needed to share that news with somebody else, ultimately getting it to Esther because now Queen Vashti is gone and now Esther is a part of King Ahasuerus' life. And so she has access to him when she's invited in. And so Mordecai gets the word to Esther that a plan is on the horizon going to destroy all the Jewish people. And so he is a spiritually courageous person getting the news to Esther. He's raising her up in the ways of God. He's raising her up to be courageous and bold and to be faithful because Esther, God has brought you to this position for such a time as this. I want to ask you in this room, those who are watching, Mordecai poured his life into Esther. He asked her hard questions. He gave her great insight. Who is the Mordecai in your life? Who's giving you spiritual truth? Who's asking you hard questions in the Christian life? Who's asking you, why do you work here? Why do you go to school here? Why do you go to church here? Why do you do what you do? Who's asking you those questions? Who's pouring into your life? You and I need some spiritually courageous people around us. I thank God for some people in my life who are courageous. They're obedient. And, and you need some of those people in your life as well. But who are those people? And moms and dads, I encourage you, make sure you have the attitude and the heart of Mordecai. Invest in your kids. Invest in your grandkids. Ask them hard questions. Teach them the ways of God. Challenge them to be all surrendered and obedient to Christ. No matter what it costs them in life, challenge them to put Jesus Christ first and foremost in life. What a great way to live life. What a great way to invest in your family is to say, I want you to be faithful, obedient, and surrender to Jesus Christ no matter what it costs you in life. Be faithful to him. Number six, learn the benefits of waiting on the Lord. As you look in chapter four, uh, do not think to yourself that in the king's past you will escape. Uh, for if you keep silent the time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. And then here's what, here's what uh, Esther ultimately said. Esther said, you, you hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and the young woman will fast also as you do. It's a period of waiting. What are you doing in your family where you're waiting on God? Waiting's not wasted time. 
When you wait on God, you discover the will of God. You discover the strength of God. You don't want to get ahead of God's leadership. You don't want to lag behind God's leadership. You want to stay right in step with God's leadership in your life. Waiting on God, there are benefits to waiting on God. And so Esther, in this context, understands what's going on. And here she is learning to wait on God. You fast and we're going to fast and we're going to see how God moves. Why? Because Esther, you are put in this position for such a time as this. I mean, it's tough for us to wait, isn't it? I mean, we don't like to wait at a traffic light. I mean, we don't like to wait in a drive-through at a restaurant somewhere. I mean, we don't like to wait on the internet. What in the world is going on with this company? They're so slow. We just hate to wait in life. But if you're going to stay in step with God's leadership and you're going to seize his divine moment, it's going to be critical for you to learn to wait on God because when God moves, you move. When God says wait, you wait because you don't want to get ahead. You don't want to lag behind. You learn the value and the benefits of waiting upon God. Then number seven, journey through life with an uncompromising surrender. Here's what I appreciate about Esther in so many ways. Look at this text. Go gather all the Jews, be found in Susha. And hold the fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days and night. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Esther's going to put her life in danger. She says, I'll go to the king, though it is against the law. And here's what Esther said. If I perish, I perish. She was living a life of uncompromising surrender. Where are those people at in our day? Where are those people at in our day who say, I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to walk through the open door. I'm going to serve him. And if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to give him everything in my life. We, we, need, we need mothers who are willing to be that bold and courageous in the eyes of God to say, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to nurture my family. I'm going to be a lady of integrity and character. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach. I'm going to train. I'm going to model. I'm going to do that in my life. Why? Because I do it for the glory of God. Why does, why does God use ordinary people in life? I believe he uses ordinary people because one, we're surrendered to him, but also he gets the glory for that. It's not you and me. He gets the glory for that. And so, so when you look at this, when you think about uncompromising surrender, are you surrendered to Jesus Christ today? And I'm going to ask you on Mother's Day, what do you need to surrender him? And here Esther's willing to give her life for her people for such a time as this. If I perish, I perish. Are you living a surrendered life? Those are the truths. Uh, those are the main characters. Those are the lessons, but it comes down to you and me. Do you know Christ? Have you been obedient to him even in believer's baptism? Have you joined the fellowship of the church? Is God calling you to take another step of faith and obedience that he wants to use you for such a time as this as well? How does God want you to surrender your life today? You can come to him just as you are, but the good news is you'll leave radically different but you can come to him and say, Lord, I surrender everything to you today. I want us to bow together as we pray. And we're gonna, we're gonna sing in just a moment. We're gonna give an invitation in this room and those who are watching online. And, and we make no apology inviting you to make spiritual decisions. 
Mordecai challenged Esther to make spiritual decisions. And today in this invitation, we want to challenge you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, would you be willing to confess your sin? Would you be willing to acknowledge that he gave everything on a cross and is victorious over the grave for you? Would you be willing to walk down an aisle or right where you are watching around the world, just say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. You love me. I need to turn from my sin and put my trust in you. Ask Jesus Christ to save you and forgive you and give you brand new life today. He can do that. We witnessed people this morning being obedient to Christ in baptism. How do you need to step out today? Maybe you were saved a week ago, many weeks ago, months ago. How do you need to step out and come forward and say, Lord Jesus, you saved me. I want to be obedient to you in believer's baptism. How many of you need to say today, the point of surrender for you is to be connected to his family, his body, the church. And you've been coming for weeks, months, maybe years. This is where you're fed at. This is where you serve at. But you've never made that commitment to affiliate with the Lord's church called First Baptist Church. And maybe today's the day that you do that. Surrender. Uncompromising surrender. And then I look around at kids and students and college students and young adults and adults of all ages. Just as God called Esther for such a time as this, he's still calling just you and me today. And how does God want to use you for such a time as this? Church, I'll be transparent in this invitation. We've got some issues coming up as a church over the next weeks, over the next months. But there's no doubt God's going to give us leadership on. There's no doubt that God's going to direct us. There's no doubt that God's going to pull back the curtain and say, here's what I've been doing all along. Here's what I want you to do next. And church, I believe in many ways God's brought us here for such a time as this. And I don't want to miss the opportunity that God's put before us. I want to stand faithful and courageous and obedient to him. What about you for such a time as this? Heavenly Father, Thank you for an invitation. Thank you that we can extend a public invitation. And Lord, we don't pressure people, manipulate people. But Father, we pray for obedience, surrender. Father, yes, we'd love to see people walk down one of these aisles and say yes to Jesus, say yes to baptism, say yes to church affiliation, say yes to ministry. But we'd love to see that. We'd love to see people who are watching around the world make many of those same commitments and respond to us. We'd rejoice literally around the world with people who say yes to you. But God, at the end of the day as well, we know that we leave the results to you. But God, thank you for using Esther. Thank you for using Mordecai. Thank you for using moms and dads and grandparents. And God, thank you for using us. And help us to realize we want to come to the finish line we want to be faithful we want to finish well but god you've given us life today that we can carry out your purpose for such a time as this and we come to you just as we are and we pray this today in jesus name amen
Church, let's stand together. We're going to sing. You can respond. Our pastoral team is going to be here. Our prayer team is going to be here as well on both sides. If we can pray for you, counsel you, rejoice with you, walk with you, we'd love to do so. As we sing, you come forward this morning as we honor the Lord for such a time as this.